Hello and welcome back to the Korean Beauty Show podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, the founder of Style Story, your online go-to for all things K-beauty, and of course, your guide to the world of Korean skincare. Now, this week's episodes, I have so much in store for you, and starting off was a really interesting uh I guess, a YouTube expose that I wanted to discuss for this week's K-Beauty News headline. So I'm going to call the headline of this, Is the EWG Setting Back? the future of the Korean cosmetics industry. Now, if you have been maybe playing around in the world of K-beauty for a little while, you might have noticed that an increasing amount of brands are promoting themselves as having, you know, an EWG green grade approved skincare list, uh, or perhaps that they only use green grade ingredients. So the EWG uh, is uh, very important, I think, particularly for a lot of the smaller brands in how they choose to do their marketing. And I came across a really, really interesting video by Ahn Insok, who is actually the director of the Korean Institute of Dermatological Sciences. Uh, so you may recognize her. She rose to fame, uh, I'm going to say maybe about a year and a half ago, throughout the Korean sunscreen scandal. Obviously, she's been working in the industry for a very, very long time, but she started a YouTube channel to sort of discuss a lot of stuff that's going on in the industry. Uh, and she actually was one of the first to report on uh, particular brands failing their SPF test results that hadn't previously been reported. So that's sort of how she really uh, came into a lot of people's, I guess, consciousness. And she's been posting a lot of content since then. And her most recent video was really just, you know, a fact check, a question and answer style format about various different things. But what I thought was really, really interesting was her view that the green grade rating systems like those used by the EWG, and she also mentioned which is a very, very popular local rating app uh, for cosmetics and particularly cosmetic ingredients. She believes that they are actually setting back the future of the Korean beauty industry. So I just thought this was a really interesting take. So I wanted to sort of discuss uh, her views and also what I personally think about this, because I just think this is a really, really interesting uh, area of the industry. And it's a big change that I have noticed. Uh, so obviously, you know, when I first started using K-Beauty products, you know, over a decade ago, this was just not part of the industry. You didn't see all of these, um, you know, claims being made about the purity of ingredients or clean beauty or green beauty or any of these sorts of things, the products and the brands sort of stood up or fell down on their own merit. So what she was saying, she was answering like a series of questions. You can go and check out the video. I'll link to it in the show notes below. But what she was saying was at the essence, she doesn't think it's necessary to check whether cosmetics contain harmful ingredients for the human body. And What she was saying is that, first of all, 
Those kind of ingredients and chemicals are not allowed to be used in cosmetics in the first place. So that's the starting point. And then she also said, in any event, it doesn't make sense that cosmetic companies or manufacturers making these products would include harmful ingredients in skincare products anyway. Uh, And that is something that I've said for years. Like, it does not make sense that you would create a product that's either not going to work for a whole bunch of people out there or worse, actually include harmful ingredients in them. It just logically does not make any sense. And she also said that cosmetic products manufactured in Korea are already thoroughly tested, checked, and vetted for safety and stability. And I can confirm that this is definitely true. Uh, Obviously, we manufacture Jellico's products here in Korea, and there is a very, very rigorous process that products go through. I myself have had seen many products, not just Jellico, other products, fail stability testing for a whole host of different reasons. Often it's related to packaging, actually. That can be one reason that, you know, products, you you need to find the right packaging for them. And they can fail a few times while you get the packaging right. What she was also saying was that the reason that products contain an ingredients list in the first place is so that people who have an allergy know about it or can avoid it, an allergy or a sensitivity. But those cases, now this is my personal opinion, are so much rarer than you think. And that is particularly the case when it comes to ingredients in skincare. I think if you're talking about the kind of chemicals that are used in hair dyes or industrial chemicals, now they are much more likely to cause issues. So people that work in certain industries are a lot more likely to have sensitivities, allergies and reactions to products because of the types of chemicals. And the the chemicals in hair dyes are actually a really, really big one. There can be a lot of different things in hair dyes that can cause issues for people, uh, you know, skin sensitivities. But and this is also my opinion, is that the way that a lot of bloggers, YouTubers, and just people in general in the industry report on it, you would think that everyone has to avoid fragrance, parabens, and a whole host of other ingredients. Uh, And one thing that I've really noticed is that some people that will say, you know, oh, I avoid all fragrance in cosmetics, or, you know, I don't like fragrance products have no issue using all the regular makeup products and brands that everyone else is using for their hair products, for, you know, their blush, their foundations. If you had a genuine fragrance sensitivity, there is no way you could use those products. And in fact, you would actually be very limited in the types of products that you could use, including, you know, lip tints, blushes, eyeshadows, all of these kind of things. So I think a lot of the times, particularly when I see, you know, bloggers and things like that saying these, I really feel like they're saying something just to say something. You know, they're pointing out a particular ingredient and proffering an opinion on it that is not based in science. It's not based in logic. It's not based in reality. And I think the reason why people do this is because some people feel that if they only give a positive review on a product, then people will be suspicious. So they feel like they need to say something negative about it to maybe seem more credible. And I think that 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 leads a lot to nitpicking things with an ingredients list. Because a lot of people don't really understand cosmetic formulation, but they might have seen somewhere that something like fragrance or parabens or essential oils are in inverted commas bad. So they point that out and say, you know, I'll just avoid them. 
And what uh, Anne Insock in her video was actually saying is that it's not possible to tell if a product is bad just by looking at the ingredients list. She actually was saying it's absurd, like malgrande, it doesn't make any sense. And she gave a really great example, I thought, which was if someone were to give you the ingredients list of, say, soybean stew, which is a really common Korean dish, uh, make it spaghetti if you don't know what soybean stew is, how would you know which spaghetti or soybean stew is going to be more delicious just from looking at the list of ingredients. There is no way to know. And what it comes down to is going to be the skill of the chef. The skill is in knowing how to mix it, when to add the right ingredient at the right time, at the right temperature, the process, you know, did you just throw everything in or did you simmer something, boil down something? Did you not chop that finely enough? So she gave, I thought that was a really, really uh, apt example, particularly for, you know, what it, what it takes to actually form formulate a skincare product, you cannot tell from the ingredients list if the product is going to be any good. And the other thing that she mentioned was that when we say that a particular ingredient can be stimulating or sensitizing, we're talking about when that ingredient is used alone by itself. And that's not the case for 99.9% .9 of cosmetic products. They don't just contain one ingredient. They contain a whole heap of other things mixed in and diluted. So what she was saying was that even if an ingredient has the potential to be stimulating or irritating on its own, by the time it's gone through the manufacturing process, the physical properties of that ingredient are changed. And so the role it plays in the cosmetic itself is different. And it can actually play a role, for example, in assisting the other ingredients into the formula. Uh, so another really, really good point that I think a lot of people don't understand. You know, I, I, I hear little catchphrases like, oh, ingredients never lie. Okay, fine, but that doesn't tell you anything about the product itself. Uh, and so she, what she was saying is that she thinks that the EWG in general is redundant, basically, because the types of ingredients that they are claiming are bad are already being regulated by the FDA, the shigakcho in Korea. Like, it, they don't actually serve a purpose. And she said that even if they do, the EWG does literally nothing, there are already a thousand banned ingredients on the MFDS's list. Uh, and so her personal opinion was that brands with weak brand power rely on the EWG green grade as basically a marketing appeal to give them something to say about their products. So I just thought that was such an interesting perspective. Uh, I agree with her on so many different levels. Uh, and, you know, I really think that it does unfortunately just contribute to a really uh, unfortunate cycle where, you know, consumers who are maybe fed misinformation about, you know, the role of particular ingredients in skincare products, they then demand from the brands, you know, oh, well, I don't want this in it and that in it. And so the brands start making more and more of those products. And then the retailers get a hold of that, you know, retailers, I think that was maybe the one big one, as far as I can see that she didn't sort of touch on. But I know that a lot of retailers 
uh, will have like their own list, their own internal list of what they call clean ingredients. And then I guess anything that's not on that list, what is it supposed to be unclean? I'm not sure. But if you want to get into a lot of retailers, you then need to be formulating products that, you know, adhere to their list. So I just think, unfortunately, it leads to this really bad cycle of just misinformation spurring on choices about marketing, about the kind of ingredients that we put into our products and things like that. So I thought I would just, um, I would, I guess, introduce that on the show. I think it's a really great video. She has English subtitles on it. So I would definitely recommend going and giving that a listen, particularly if you maybe have been a little bit um, concerned about using maybe clean beauty products, so-called clean beauty products. If you, you know, do look at these ingredient rating systems and see that some ingredients are rated bad or red or, you know, do not use, can be sensitizing and irritating and things like that. I think uh, ingre- the, the kind of uh, websites like that that have uh, lists of ingredients, they can be really helpful for giving you some pointers. But I think that where a lot of these uh, lists and websites and rating apps and things like that really fall down is sort of the green light and red light system because it just simplifies something that is just not that simple. And, you know, I, it makes me wonder if they had a similar uh, rating system like this for food ingredients, what kind of things would be on the red list? You know, things that cause maybe irritable bowel syndrome in some people, are they all going to be red because some people get irritable bowel, but like the majority of people don't. The majority of people can eat things like uh, garlic and, you know, onions and stuff like that. But if you have maybe irritable bowel, they're not good ingredients for you. I think it's kind of the same thing. Uh, So I thought that was really, really interesting, uh, a really interesting take on something that, you know, the industry just seems to be moving more and more towards this kind of clean beauty thing uh, that is just problematic on so many levels because the information is based just not in science, not on fact, not on logic and not on reality in a lot of cases. Uh, So go and give that uh, a watch if you are interested in it. But that was just my take on it. Now, for this week's question of the week, so I did an appearance on uh, Korean radio last week, and I did a segment basically on all of the different types of cleansers that you find in Korean beauty. And I think I had a list of about nine, and, you know, I I only have a short segment. I think it goes for maybe about 10, 15 minutes. So that was a lot. I think it goes for 20 minutes. Actually, I'm lying. It goes for 20 minutes, but it's a lot of products to get through in only only 20 minutes. So after I came off, I was like, oh my God, so glad that I got through all nine types. And then someone was like, oh, well, you know, cleansing sticks, I'd love to know a little bit more about them. That's not something that I've heard of before. So I wouldn't say that these are the most popular type of cleanser in K-beauty by any stretch, but they have been around for a few years. And I think where you really can't beat them is for the convenience factor. So basically what a cleansing stick is, is it is a face wash, a cleansing product that comes in a wind up stick format. So I guess if you think of like the multi-balm products, those kind of things, 
it's the same as that, only a cleanser type. Uh, and, you know, I've seen a lot of different products on the market over the years. Uh, there was a really, really popular one a few years ago, uh, Rose Cleansing Stick, that was an absolute cult favorite uh, and ended up getting discontinued basically because the brand that was making it had too much trouble sourcing the rose petals. They were using real rose petals. Uh, so that one got discontinued. Uh, JJ Young has a couple of cleansing stick type products. I, I, we even have their pore erasing stick on uh, the Style Story website at the moment. So basically what they do is they work exactly the same. You apply them to a damp face, rub the stick over, and then once the actual cleanser is on your face, you, you know, emulsify it, wash it away, and your face is clean, essentially. Uh, the only trick with a cleansing stick in general is because it's in a stick format, you want to make sure that you've washed the stick down after you've used it and don't put it away dirty just because that can obviously lead to bacteria and things like that. Obviously, using a stick itself gives you that little bit of manual exfoliation that can actually be really helpful for, you know, unclogging blackheads and impurities and things like that. Uh, so keep an eye out, I guess, for them if you are maybe heading on the road. Uh, I would say a lot of the formulas that I've seen are going to be better for people with combination oily type skin. Obviously for sensitive skin, the exfoliation of the stick itself may be a little bit too much irritation for you, uh, but there are products on the market like that. So keep an eye out for them if that sounds like something you're interested in. Now, we had a review for the podcast left recently, and it was from Cecile of Underhill, and she said, very informative, great resource for infos wherever you're just starting your skincare journey or looking for more in-depth info about an issue or ingredients. Also, I really appreciate that the host goes straight to the topic of the show without starting with a 15-minute nonsense blurb on something else. So <laughs> thank you very much much uh, Cecile for your review. Uh, yeah, 15 minute blurbs. I'm just not really that into. I've got other things to do in my day as well. So yeah, definitely agree. It's better to just get into the topic. Uh, if you would like to leave your review for the podcast, I would love to hear it. I would love to read it out. Uh, you can either leave it in your Apple Podcasts app on the Style Story Facebook page, which is stylestory.au or you can even leave it for our Google reviews as well uh, for Style Story. So I will pop all of those in the links below so that you can do that and I will read your review out for you. All right, now on to some new products that have just landed on the Style Story website. The first one is Hanyul's Yuja Face Oil. So Hanyul is one of the new brands that we have curated for the uh, for the site. Obviously, Hanyul is a very, very big brand in Korea. It's not as popular overseas, uh, but it is an Amore Pacific brand. So, you know, obviously a lot of a big backing behind it and the brand concept is to use uh, natural Korean ingredients. So obviously yuja is a really, really popular local ingredient here that is uh, antioxidant enriched. It's great for brightening because it is, of course, a natural source of vitamin C. It's a citrus fruit. So this oil is perfect for people with dull, fatigued, tired looking skin. Uh, it leaves your skin feeling really nice and supple and hydrated. Uh, so I think yuja, if you think of it as a 
good replacement for your pure vitamin C, your L-ascorbic acid. That's a good way to think of the kind of benefits that it will give you. Obviously, one of the key benefits of not using pure vitamin C is that it gives it uh, a better shelf life. It's more stable. So this oil contains 82% of yuja extract as well as 5% of niacinamide. So really brightening powerhouse ingredients in that one uh, that it's going to be perfect for people with uh, spots, dull skin, all of those sort of things. So go and check that out if you are in the market for a beautiful face oil. The other product is their pure pure artemisia watery calming toner so obviously artemisia is the latin name for mugwort uh, and the type of mugwort in this toner is baby mugwort uh, it is obviously a very very popular ingredient in k-beauty mugwort is known for its warming properties so in traditional medicine when you know mugwort is uh, recommended to people it's usually for people that have like circulation issues and things like that obviously that's you know drinking it and eating it is different from applying it to your skin but mugwort has a lot of really beautiful soothing properties uh, very good for barrier care for people that have a damaged barrier so go and look uh, that one up if you're after something with a nice soothing effect a calming effect on the skin that's a really beautiful product uh, and it comes in a 150 mil size so nice and big for your everyday toning now we also had a couple of new product reviews up on the website as well. The first one was a five-star review for Dialba Piedmont's First Spray Serum. And the reviewer said, so worth the price. Wow, never again will I buy the cheap sprays that supposedly hydrate your skin when all they really do is have the opposite effect. This stuff is actual skincare in a spray bottle. You can feel the mist of serum on your skin and it actually hydrates. I use it all throughout the day if I feel dry or if I want to feel fresh or refresh my makeup. It's so good for traveling on a flight as well. Uh, it is expensive, but so, so worth it. And it lasts ages. Uh, so that was Dialba Piedemont's First Spray Serum, the White Truffle First Spray Serum, obviously a personal favorite of mine as well. Uh, and five-star review also was left for One Thing's Centella Asiatica Toner. So this was a fairly new product, I think came in at the end of last year. And the reviewer said, in love, hydrates my skin and so suitable for those with sensitive to combination skin types. Uh, so there you go. Two products to look out for if you are in the market for either a toner or a spray serum, a mist serum. Now, Last week, I mentioned that I want to start doing a recommendation of the week segment where we can talk about not necessarily K-beauty, maybe K-beauty, but some other things around Korea, Korean culture, uh, maybe film and things like that. And that had me thinking, what can I recommend to you guys that is going to be easily accessible for you? Because obviously, you know, if I recommend a restaurant in Seoul, that's not going to be very helpful to the majority of our listeners. Although I know we do actually have quite a few people listening in Korea. So a shout out to everyone who is also in Korea. Uh, but for those that are not, I my recommendation for this week is actually a book. Now, I read this book last year and it is a book called If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha. So basically it is a book, uh, it's available in English and it is set in Seoul and it's about four young women 
are, you know, making their way in the world. I guess it explores a lot of uh, topics around the Korean beauty industry, image, cosmetic surgery, prostitution, uh, classism, wealth, sexism, lots of juicy stuff in there. And it basically tells the story of four women that live in the same office tell, which is like a, a I guess a small style apartment in Korea. So in Korea, there are multiple different types of like high rise living arrangements. The biggest are apartu, which is an actual apartment. Then you have a villa, which is the translation is villa, which are about six stories high. Uh, and you know not as expensive as apartments and then the cheapest uh, ones that are the smallest as well are called office tail office tail which is like a cross between I guess like I don't know they're, they're for workers they're for people that are working uh, that don't have a whole lot of money to spend but you know need somewhere to live so these four roommates I guess are all living in the same building now one is like a hostess at a room salon which is basically a kind of establishment where you entertain businessmen while they drink another one is an artist uh, there is a hairstylist uh, that lives down the hall from them and then below is a woman a newlywed who is trying to get pregnant with her first child and it sort of tells the story about these women and how their lives overset, uh, intersect rather so look was this book the best book I've ever read no it wasn't but I thought it was interesting in that it touches on a lot of different issues affecting people that are living in Seoul at the moment obviously women uh, but I thought it was interesting how they touched on you know things like prostitution working at a room salon cosmetic surgery I think for me where the book kind of let itself down is that you know it didn't really deeply get into any of the stories I would have liked for the stories within the book to be unfolded a little bit more however I still think it's an interesting read and I think it's a really interesting read if you are looking to get more of an insight into modern Korean culture uh, so go and go and give that one a read if you know that sounds like you it's called if I had your face and it is by Francis Cha so that was my recommendation for this week uh, if you have a recommendation if you have something to suggest please come and find me because I would love to know about it uh, I am on Instagram at lauren.kbeauty. The other way you can, of course, get in touch with either me or the team is to send us an email. Uh, our email is admin at stylestory.com.au. So I'm going to finish up here for today and I will be back on Thursday with our deep dive, our deep dive into an, an area of the K-beauty industry. So I'll leave it here. And in the meantime, I will see you on Style Story. Oh,